Bring it in. Another edition of the Read Option. My man Vito fist pumping over there because he knows we have a hell of a show lined up for you today. And you know, I kind of ruined the spoiler there. But look, we got my man Brian San Vito, Scotty Miller back. Guys, it's only been like a week and a half, two weeks since we've all talked, but it feels much longer. I've gotten too accustomed to having you boys in my life on a regular schedule. So it's lovely to see you. How are you all? both whatever the pop, proper vernacular is it's great to see you guys good man good you know uh had had a weekend where i disconnected a little bit from from sports which was kind of crazy because there was a lot of things going on that come back but um just celebrated a birthday or i'm i've orbited the sun 29 times now pretty cool yes, you have pretty cool so yeah happy um, belated man no thanks guys and and uh yeah just just you know ready to kind of dive into some of this stuff because a, a lot of interesting things have happened in a lot of sports in the last week no absolutely yeah you want to talk sports my you want to talk sports my uh my driveway and uh and entire front yard was a friggin' hockey rink I was out there. It was so funny, man. I get out there. I got a flat part of my uh, of the driveway. There's a big circle and a flat part, and I'm out there doing curling because there's a two inch thick sheet of ice on my uh, on my you driveway. You could have helped. You could have helped out. Uh, melted. You could have helped out. What's his name? Bettman there in the NHL. They had some issues with ice uh, for their Lake Tahoe event. Oh, that God, was crazy. Yeah, so I I was I was Isn't watching that, cool, that. I was watching that. The backdrop was beautiful. If you haven't seen it, Google phenomenal. the picture. It's it's the most incredible place. You want to play there for sure. If they should leave that, it's just incredible. But what was insane is after the first period of the Avalanche game it was at uh, Colorado Avalanche versus Vegas Knights. After the first period, they were out there on the ice, and and there are people all on their hands and feet trying to figure out what's going on. The sun came out, and it was so hot and heavy that it started to melt. And one guy initially, he scoops up. It looked like he was getting water ice. You know what I mean? Like he scooped up with this thing, a a bunch of like slush. And they were, they all just looked at each other and like, this is screwed. So they pushed the game back to midnight Eastern on Saturday. So I don't know who else was around, but I was up betting on that, drinking on that after some fights. It was, it was crazy. It's funny, man. Cause you know, they've been doing that for a while. I touched on a little bit uh, on the pod on Tuesday but, you know, they, they've been doing this stadium series for a minute now. And I don't know about you guys. My initial takeaway from it was that I loved this setting for it. Obviously, they had some issues with the ice. They've had issues in the past with ice, uh, amongst other things, and trying to pull off that game, you know, week, uh, year in and year out. They've been doing that for more than a decade now, by the way. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, was it, they, they, wasn't the first doing... one in like snowing in Buffalo? It was a Pittsburgh Buffalo game. Yeah, I think it was in like two. I think it was two thousand and nine or two thousand eight. Because yeah. I remember the so Flyers cool. played in two thousand ten. Yeah, they used to do it on like New Year's Day. It was perfect. Like it was a great setup to the Rose Bowl. I remember that. Oh yeah. Just... It, and they've kind of you know I even said that too. It's kind of got a little stale, I think, which is one of the cool things here. I actually preferred it without any fans i thought like because the whole point of it is to bring it back to the hockey's roots and you know guys were out play, playing on ponds up in canada and i and i thought like hey what's a better pond in america than freaking lake tahoe right and it ended up kind of being perfect but you know Vito, you you went right off the top here and kind of hit it perfectly so much has happened here 
in the uh, in the sports world of late. And I, I I was struggling today trying to come up with what do like what do I want this podcast to be right? Like, because when, when you're planning a little peek behind the curtain here, when you're planning out a pod, you kind of want to have some sort of core feature in the middle of this. And I came away from Sunday and I did the pod. I had to catch up on the Carson Wentz stuff, which we'll get into a little bit later. I need to hear y'all's opinions on everything that kind of went down. And that was going to be our core on, on Tuesday's show. But for t- today, I was kind of trying to figure out what is the main thing to talk about. And what made it so difficult is that there are so many things going on in the sports world. You know, this weekend we had an, an awesome golf tournament. We had the uh, final rounds or the, the championships of the Australian Open. We had a great NBA slate. We had, you know, Joel Embiid dropping 50 points against the Chicago Bulls. Right. We have the end. We had arguably the best college basketball game of the year, Ohio State and Michigan. Uh, you know, you can just keep going on the list. There's been NFL news, NBA, like every single sport, MLB, Fernando Tatis signed a big contract. So, you know, we're, we're in this kind of time in the sports calendar, I guess, where so many things are happening at once. It, it makes me think of, you know, the episode of The Office when Michael Scott's on Pretzel Day and he gets up to the line. He says, you know, what, what do I want on, you know, what do you want on it? And he says, well, what do you have? And the guy runs through the giant list of everything he can put on it. And he's like, can I get one of everything? And he said, the works, you got it, right? That's, that's the line in the show. So today's episode is the Michael Scott pretzel episode. It's the works. We're getting through, a, we're going to go through a little bit of everything that we have in the sports world. And think of it as a big picture, larger version of our sports gumbo segment that we do uh, to wrap up the pods here. So we're going to get into a little bit of everything. Unfortunately, though, guys, we do have to kind of hit with the story that has taken over the sports world here in the last 30 hours or so, which was Tiger Woods got into a very serious car accident yesterday. Uh, he had to be removed with, you know, the jaws of life. He ended up having to get emergency surgery. I think he went through two different surgeries last night. He's been in a couple of different hospitals. He has compound fractures in his tibia and his fibia. He has some ankle damage all in his right leg. Uh, luckily, we found out, you know, I think there was a lot of initial reaction given Tiger's past that this had something to do with alcohol or painkillers or something else. Uh, it came out just about an hour ago that it was uh, his toxicology report was clean. This was, this was simply an accident uh, on a tough road to drive both you guys out on the West coast. You know how some of those West coast roads can be um, right off the bat here. I guess I, I want to hear your thoughts. I mean, the, it was eerily similar to the moment I heard about Kobe, you know, in the terms of the uncertainty when the news came across the desk. Now, obviously tigers alive and healthy, which we love to see. Um, but at the same time, when it came across, it was a lot of uncertainty and, and no one really knew exactly what the extent would be. Uh, we kept hearing leg injuries and whatnot, but I, I'm curious to hear what your initial reactions were when the news came across the desk yesterday. Yeah, I think you nailed it, man. Uh, it had a lot of the, the Kobe feel, um, you know, just the uncertainty of the whole thing. And I think it, it does sort of question the 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 mind to be able to understand tiger's past with with uh substance uh issues and then even getting into an accident with because of substance issues but um it was scary man i i really i i'm so glad he's okay um i guess he's not playing in the masters though but um 
I'm glad he's okay. Uh, it it would have been tough to uh, to to see the greatest golfer of all time go down like that. Yeah, for me, when I heard about it, um, luckily when I had heard the news, it was already far enough along where I didn't have that Kobe reaction because I knew like he was going to be okay. So that was great. Like, I, I, so for me, like that, I was lucky, I guess, right? And that when I found out about it, we already had known the safety um, of like his life was was okay. Uh, you know, it sucks for the leg and it sucks for what happened. Like I said, it flipped multiple times. I mean, it looked awful and thank God he's all right. I mean, he's a guy who as an ambassador for that sport is so important. And, and um, just, I think for all of us, like growing up when, when we did, you know um, like Tiger Woods has been one of the most influential athletes consistently over that time. So it's been, it's been pretty incredible to see, um, you know, obviously from where he was from like 2005 and then on and then winning again, just what we've seen him overcome. It's kind of like, you know, here's another obstacle, even just to get back and play. Like this is going to be a really long journey. So um, this, this will be, uh, I don't know, this will be pretty crazy. Has anyone said anything about potential like timelines of recovery? No, I I think it's too early to to even think about the golf you know, side. Well, of I just mean like walking, like yeah, his leg. Sure. I mean, look, I mean, we, we've seen the recovery that guys like Alex Smith have had in the past, you know, these traumatic injuries. Um, and that's a football injury, right? A car accident injury is, is on a whole nother plane, you know? So I think for a lot of people, it's, it's almost just kind of like, not that we're not all curious. Cause I think at the end of the day, we all are curious, but I think given, you know, kind of tiger's magnitude as an athlete, I think a lot of people are just kind of either jumping to the golf conclusion, like going all into like, Oh, when's he going to be back to golf? Um, or they're just kind of not really trying to get into that just because I think again, like even until, you know, tiger didn't release a statement until one o'clock in the morning last night, or his people, you know, didn't release yeah. a statement on his, on his official Twitter page until, you know, almost one o'clock in the morning last night. So all, even throughout the day, once we had gotten reports that like he was stable, he was, you know, he was conscious when they pulled him out of the car, everything like that. Uh, I, I still think there was just too much uncertainty. You know, there were talks of people worried about some sort of paralyzation and, and those kinds of things throughout the day. Um, you well, know, that's, that's exactly I, where, and I, I hope, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just want to clarify it. Like I, I, yeah, with that, I, I'm like, it's so crazy. And I agree with you. We, we jump back to sports so quick, but like, I don't know, whenever I think about it and where I was going with the leg thing is like, man, after something like that, could you imagine how long it would take just to walk normally? And then just like that feeling of like, Hey guys, I can move around by myself. That's a big deal for a human being to go through. And yeah. he's been through tra- and like his family massive too. injuries. Yeah. And, and he's so recovering. Like- he's in the middle of recovering from his fifth back <laughs> surgery right now. Like there was all like his, he, I, ironically, he was interviewed during the Genesis open, which uh, or Genesis invitational, which we'll get into in a second. Um, he was being interviewed by Jim Nance and, you know, during the, the Sunday final round and, and he asked him, uh, you know, what, what's the timetable for Augusta? You know, is there a chance they're going to be back for the, for the masters and even just going to physical therapy every day and, and trying to get back to where he was, um, you know, Tiger hadn't, he, he was non-committal. He was very non-committal. He said it was still very much up in the air as to whether or not he would even be ready for Augusta from this back surgery. So yeah, he's got the knee or the, the, the leg injuries right now, 
but also he was in the middle of recovering from a back injury. Like he couldn't swing a golf club as of now. He was practicing putting. That was the, ex- the furthest extent of where he was at right now. So considering the back surgeries, the back fusion that he got a couple of years ago, which allowed him to come back on that insane master's run in 2019. Um, and, and I think the timing of this all is just crazy. But, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine uh, and, and I was saying to her, you know, like Tiger Woods got into this horrible car accident. And, you know, I wasn't like in tears or, or anything. I was a little like, kind of in shock and just kind of locked into the news, similar to how I was with the Kobe thing. Now, the Kobe thing was was obviously we, we knew the um, finality of it far too quickly. Um, but, you know, she said to me, she goes, you know, but why do we care so much about, you know, whether it's an actor or a celebrity or an athlete when these kinds of things happen? And it, it is a valid point, right? Because in society, we do prop up these people who are who are good at a game and, and who are good at acting and, and, and making movies for entertainment. But all these things are tied back to very deep nostalgic ties for us. You know, golf is is my favorite thing to do. Going out and golfing and, and, and just being outside doing that activity is my favorite thing to do. And even if I'm not as locked in on the PGA tour as I am in other sports, it's just that activity means a lot to me. I did it with my grandfather. He's the one who, who really played a role into it, but I promise you now I would have never gotten into golf being a guy who, who loved all these other sports. If it wasn't for Tiger Woods, you know, Tiger was the guy who, even when I was younger growing up watching kind of the tail end of his dominance still played a big role and was just this massive sports figure that even if I didn't fully understand just how big and just how dominant he was at that time when I was younger going through it, he still ultimately plays a role. And one of the things that Max Homa said here, and, and I want to hop into you know his, his play here this past weekend, the Riviera or the Genesis Open at Riviera is Tiger's tournament. He hosts that tournament. And it was one of the first things that he said out of his mouth after he won. And, and you see that almost week in and week out is how many of those people on the tour right now in their 20s only started playing golf because they watched Tiger Woods dominate. And so obviously I think the overarching thought from the pod here and from all of us is we want nothing but health for Tiger. And and given everything he's gone through, the biggest thing for me is I just want him to be able to enjoy time with his kids and, and be able to walk and hold his kids and do all the things that he can. Golf is a secondary. You know, if he ever comes, if he comes back from this, then he truly is, you know, some sort of next level of, of human. He, he, you know, but I, I think I think just given everything that he's had to go through, um, you know, just wanting to see him be able to be with his family there. But uh, with that being said, there's no easy way to transition out of this stuff. So I think you just, I kind of just want to hop right into Max Homa because, again, I touched on it a little bit. Um, but the ending of that tournament on Sunday was just absolutely electric. Uh, you know, Max Homa coming up on 18. Now, I, I mentioned these guys were texting over. I had Max Homa top five on Thursday before the tournament started. I sprinkled a little bit down. It was plus 1,200, even playing well going into this tournament. And I was like, you know what? This is his, one of his quote-unquote home courses. I think he'll play well, might be able to sneak into the top five. Then he played well on, fr- on Thursday. And Friday morning, I put down like $7 on him to win. And that netted me like a hundred and sixty-five dollar payout by the end of it. So I had a like my makeup yeah. weekend. We've been saying I was due for a makeup weekend post Super Bowl. I finally hit it, and it was an awesome, 
awesome Sunday, but to get there and, and you will obviously anyone who knows how that ended will probably guess how I was when Max home was walking up on 18. He hits a, an insane, uh, sand trap out of a sand trap gets oh, to within a, a birdie oh. putt to tie <laughs> tony Finau to go into 18 now homo was kind of just lurking around all day he hits that great shot out of the sand gets it to within seven feet sinks down the birdie putt on the par five on 17 gets him to tied with tony Finau at, at minus at 12 under goes up on 18 hits an absolute piss missile right this thing low skinner and, and what's funny is so many other guys like tony finau tried to hit a bomb a lot of height a lot of distance and uh homa ended up out driving finau by about 25 yards on that last hole which is crazy because yeah. you Finau's, know what that drive looked like what it looked like that drive looked like a, a tiger shot it really did <laughs> it was it like it, the little tiger well, and it shows you his experience having played that course a lot he started playing that course when he was in college with uh think he went to Cal I might be wrong on that but he was in the area when he went to school played that hole at Riviera he knew exactly how to play hit a low stinger with the driver beautiful little draw gets to 127 yards he pulls out the sand wedge and he sticks this thing within three feet gets the three feet of the freaking hole right and of course I'm sitting there three footer tied right now this is to win the tournament and he fucking missed it. <laughs> Career, he had been like 99.7% on three footers. And he Jeff, missed we've the all one. been there. <laughs> well, we haven't been there Maybe when one as point much money. Yeah. We yeah. haven't been there when $1.6 million was at stake. That's right. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, he goes on, goes to a playoff. Maybe $1.6. He and Finau go into the, uh, yeah, maybe. He and Finau go to the playoff. And did you guys see the the shot he hit from underneath the tree? Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, I, yeah. As someone who golfs what? a lot and I know both of you guys do like, I, I thought it was done. I'm thinking, God damn it. I'm, I'm so close to this awesome payout and he misses a three footer and now he's fucking backed up against a tree. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I would have hit that shot about six feet and it would have <laughs> gone on the other side of the rough too. Oh, he hooded. He, the thing called uh, hooding your your club, which is you close yeah. the club face pretty extremely, so that way you you get a little bit more of that side action, uh, but also the ball is going to be. He was, I'm telling you, if you haven't seen it, go. You have to go up and look at. Uh, they went to two playoff holes. He wins. My big takeaway from all of this, after watching four straight Sundays of golf, is that golf has a presence and a footprint in the national media right now that I can't uh, that outside of Tiger. Right. We're talking about the tour in its entirety has the footprint. It used to just be the tiger footprint, but now the whole tour really does seem to have a little bit more gravitas to it than it has in years past. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree. And I think a lot of that is due to uh, is partially due to the pandemic. And when I when I say what what I mean when I say that is like uh, we had the whole stoppage last year. Right. And then we come back with sports in full this year um basketball hasn't been super thrilling uh the super bowl was pretty boring um uh like most of the nba is is largely like not super exciting although there's a big game tonight jazz lakers check that one out 10 p.m eastern on espn Um, but that's gonna be a good game but but by and large there have i mean even the teams at the top are like eh like, do I believe in the jazz? Not really. Anyway, different segment for a different day. But 
I think that all fuels like what people did during the pandemic is go out and do these solitary activities like playing golf. There's a number of people I know who got into playing golf because it was one of the, the few things they could do out of doors during the uh, during lockdown. So now you get into golf. Now you want to follow these guys and see like, well, there's a professional sport around all of this. Let's follow what's going on in the game of golf. Maybe I'll learn a thing or two by watching these guys uh, on the course and listening to, to Jim Nance and, and, and company uh, David Duvall give expert analysis on, on what's going on in the game. Um, So I think there, there is a a bit of a, a almost cult following, um, for golf and it helps that the product is getting better and better and better and better each year uh, that they're on tour. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's great to see, but, um, but I think it is a bit of a, a, a product of the, of the pandemic a little bit. Now, Vito, you're, you're a pretty big golf golfer. Like you, you enjoy golfing, but you're also not the biggest follower of the PGA tour. Do you feel as though, like what, what would it take for, the PGA tour to be enough that you're like, Hey, on a Sunday down the stretch, maybe people tweeting about it, talking about it. What does like, do you feel there's more of a pull towards golf as someone who doesn't follow the tour like year in year out each week? I think, I think it's an interesting point, especially in the fact of, you know, last year, even myself, because of lockdown, I played a lot, double the amount of rounds I usually do. And there is something to that. I, I think what it really comes down to is what else is going on. And I, I, here's why I say that, because I think golf is my favorite sport. If I'm laying around and chilling and uh, you know, I'm napping in and out watching it's golf the hangover sport, dude, it's, yeah. it is the hang the it's Sunday great. hangover golf, nothing better. Yep. So, and that's, what's different is during the football season this year, when, you know, most events were kind of pushed later in the fall and it was competing with football that was not going to win out. So it's a little different this year. I I think what the the push would be again is just like, I I love the Sunday aspect of it and, and and kind of the buildup, but you got to have people close, right? It has to be close. Like when people run away with it, uh, that's where it, the the tours lose me. Like when someone's just dominating, it's fun to see someone playing well. Don't get me wrong. That's a Sunday hanging out. But if I'm like, there's other things going on, I will watch a, you know, I will watch this open because of the fact that there are three people all, uh, you know, on the back nine within like a stroke. That's yeah. what gets me. I love seeing people fall apart. I love the pressure. Like there's nothing better than those moments. And that's why I love golf too. But without that, I think the whole tournaments, you know, they lose a little bit. And that's exactly what golf's been for the last month. It's been every, every, and, and with exception, I guess, I mean, Patrick Reed ended up winning by I think four or five strokes. It was about a month ago, but the whole cheating thing with Patrick Reed that came out, right. And how disliked he is. And I said this on the pod on Tuesday, right? Like you may not like Patrick Reed, or Bryson DeChambeau, like I hate both of those. I don't hate, I sports hate those guys, right? There's a difference between real hate and sports hate. But Patrick Reed, like a villain is good for sports. No matter what sport it is, like a villain will bring eyeballs, right? We've seen it in, in as, you know, it's not really sport. The WWE has heels for a reason, right? Because it brings people in. It's a reason to want to watch. You want to see Brooks Kepka turn it on on the back nine just to shut Patrick Reed's stupid face up. Like that, that is such an important part yeah. of having, being able to sell a sport. Now I, I am curious though, because 
you know, as, as you were kind of saying here, and, and both of you guys were alluded to, alluding to here, is that there are so many things going on in sports. And you're right, Vito, in the fall, nothing's ever going to touch football. Football's king for at least the next 20 years. And now there's a lot that can happen, but just projecting long term. Why do you guys think it, it feels as though there are so many awesome things going on in sports right now? Because my theory is that we didn't have sports for six months and then we got the bubble back, which felt kind of weird. But look, we had live sports and we were all about it. Baseball came back. Obviously, the PGA Tour was going on. But then once the fall hit, it was really all football. It was college football in the NFL. And you didn't really worry about the NBA until, honestly, for a lot of people, the last you know month or so since the Super Bowl. I think that because now that we're at a point where football's out, but we still have the offseason storylines, obviously we've seen the Stafford and Goff trade. We now saw the Carson Wentz trade. Do you guys feel that COVID has brought such an impact in on the way that we view sports that maybe we just became numb because there are so many sports and we are such a sports dense culture in America in particular? Yeah, I think so. I mean, who among us wasn't looking uh, to find any sports content we could, um, especially like I'm, I'm particularly like live stuff. I mean, there were weekends I found myself sitting in front of the TV uh, cracking a couple of beers and watching the, uh, whatever cornhole tournament was on the Ocho or ESPN or whatever, you know, like the, the propensity to want sports in our society it runs so deep that we've, I think you're right, Jeff, we've reached a point where we'll, we'll do anything for it. And now that it's all back, it's like, it's, it's, like I want to consume all of this now. Give it all to me. I don't care what it is. You got bowling over there? Let's do this. You want a golf tournament? Let's do this. NBA action tonight? Fuck yeah. Uh oh wait, the NC two A tournament's coming on. Conference championship next week. Let's freaking do this. This is electric, boys. Let's do yeah. this. This is mass sports red zone, NFL red zone, but for everything. Like, let's do it. I, I'm with you. I mean, I think what's crazy too is um even I guess here's the I would disagree with, with some of the sentiment you guys said in, in this, I think that happened. I think, I think everyone's fully back. Like, I think we're back. I think it, when football, like there was a point in football, the football season, when it was like, uh, Hey, we're going to have this thing. Like we had gone through the, Hey, we got to rearrange this game here or there, but we're going to get through sports. And I think that's when, especially me, cause I pay a lot of attention to European soccer. Um, I, I gamble on a lot of weird sports. Like I gamble on a ton of like, you know, I, I love this woman's um, there's a woman's Mexican soccer team and I, the Tigres and they're, they're dominating their league. Right. So like the point is, is I find the random sports to gamble on. And since these ones were gone, I've been following those now a lot harder. And I guess the point is, is like, I'm losing almost some interest in sports that had to delay or push back. Because you, um, you brought in would've. all these new sports. Yeah, like I, <laughs> I, I love, like I don't know, just the fact of like how how much I followed and gambled on the Australian Women's Open for tennis is a step. Pagula, shout out Jessica Pagula. Oh yeah, maybe yeah. Mad Bank this the last couple weeks. Uh, we got to get you in, so dude. Fun. We got to get you on the golf gambling because I'm telling, dude, the way that you can pre-tournament gamble on golfers is insane the value because you can you can not just go it's not just picking a straight up winner right you can go top five top 10 finishes and when you all you have wow. to do is just is just trace back right from the last month watch how they're playing what have you done for me lately look at it from that kind of perspective like i know max homa from twitter 
right? A lot of people know Max Homa as the guy who, and this happened totally organically, but people would send him videos of their swing and say, hey, Max, what do you think of, you know, my buddy's swing here on the course? And then he just roasts them. And it's never not funny. And everybody's kind of in on the joke. And it, it honestly is, it's one of the best Twitter followers to have. And so I knew Max Homa for like, almost two years just as a guy who was kind of a struggling pro who was funny on Twitter. And then you get to see him, you know, come out of the gates and have this awesome, you know, kind of start to the 2021 season where he was in the top five last week at Pebble beach. And the week before that at the waste management open, he was lingering around the top 20. So if you follow some people and then you do just a little bit of research, listen to one or two golf podcasts, the value you can get, I mean, think about it. I got Max Homa finishing top five at plus 1,200. That's 12 to one odds for a guy who finished in the top 10 the week before and the top 20 the week before that, who then goes on to win the tournament. And then when I doubled down on, on him to win, I still got both. Yeah. So I basically, with the, it was six, it was a 60 to one and 12 to one. I got 72 to one odds for him to win and finish top five. And yeah. obviously, that's not going to happen every single week. But it's an awesome sport to gamble on. So we got to get you locked yeah. in there on the golf I'll side for what. gambling, Vito. Speaking of golf gambling, how about these odds? Have you seen the odds for the Masters coming up? I haven't yet, no. Oh, my gosh. All right. You want me to read you the top, the top up here? Yeah, give me the top 10 Nuts. here. All right. So number one, you want me to go 10 to 1 or 1 to 10? What do you want? Go 1 to 10. All right. Number one, we have uh, defending champion Justin. Dustin Johnson at six to one at uh, number two. And this is I, number two is one of my favorite picks. Honestly, I might throw down to get to pick him. Uh, John Rahm at 10 to one. Three is uh, Rory McIlroy also at 10 to one. Brooks Kepka lingering around at number four at 11 to one. So is Bryson DeChambeau 11 to one. Justin Thomas 11 to one. Xander Shoffley 16 to one. And Patrick Reed and Jordan Spieth and Cantley will round it out all at uh, 25 to one. I was going to ask what Cantley is at. Cantley's a guy who I think is he's due for a master's run. Uh, there's a, like, there's a few guys, but I would even put it this way. How many sports can you get the number one player in their sport at six to one odds, right? Dustin yeah, Johnson that is, nuts. That is, is like, and, and Dustin Johnson's not tiger level or anything, you know, but he is the best golfer on the tour pretty unanimous, unanimously at this point. So what yeah. game for the chiefs are you getting Patrick Mahomes, you know, plus, you know, plus 600 to win you know, or not just to win, but to throw for 300 yards or whatever. Like mm-hmm. you can just get yeah. extraordinary value there. Um, and I, I guess here, cause I, I, the masters to me, is a part of what might be the best, you know, week of the year, which is you get the final four and national championship of the NCAA tournament. And then the following weekend you get the masters, which by the way, for Jim Nance, like what a fucking week, dude. You know, and, and <laughs> hello and, friends, Jim Nance. Like he gets to call the NCAA tournament, gets the final four, gets the national championship game. He gets like a day. He travels to Augusta, like straight from the tournament goes down to Augusta and then just spends a week covering golf and what is the best. And anyone who's ever been to the masters will tell you that it is by far the best tournament as a spectator to go to. Oh, it's uh, bucket list. It's the go. number one on my bucket list. Number like yeah. number one. And it's not even close. So we're getting ready yeah. for 
uh, the NCAA tournament here, but I want to turn our attention and the next piece, whatever the next ingredient of the Michael Scott pretzel is here, uh, which is our kind of bread and butter on this pod, which is the NFL, because even though this is supposed to be the dormant time for the NFL, we all know that it's a 365 day league, right? 24, seven, 365. The NFL is rocking. We've seen a few things. I did the majority of the podcast uh, on Tuesday about the Carson Wentz trade, but I have not gotten either of your thoughts here since Carson Wentz has been dealt from the Eagles to the Indianapolis Colts. So I would love to hear both of your perspectives here and, and then kind of divulge that into a bigger conversation in, in terms of what we're doing with these first round quarterbacks. Yeah, I, I think that, it was a great trade for Indy. Um, I thought the value they got in a guy who their coach clearly believes in and has proven to have some success with, um, you know, I, I honestly thought that Carson is going to was succeed even if he stayed. Like I thought that I, I really like Jalen hurts as you guys know, but I think Carson's a guy who just needs some time to figure out his own self, but he's not a player you give up on yet. Like he's nowhere near. I was shocked that it was only, you know, they only had to give up what they did to get them. I, I think they really won that trade to, sorry, Jeff. It's just what I, how I think it was. And, and I really think that, you know, the future for him should be high. I, th- I think that he has a good defense there. It's a good fit. They needed a guy to go in and lead. And I think they got their guy for the next couple of years. Right. I mean, if, if this can work out and he can even look like, a, you know, a piece of his former self, which I think he will, I, I'm really, um, I mean, I think, I'll put it this way. Everyone kind of predicted this to happen and it made sense with Frank Reich and all of this stuff, but I'm really happy for Carson that he's going to this situation. Um, Cause I think it's going to be really good for his career. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a place he can kind of open up a little bit. Uh, we all, we talk about the the second chance, the redemption factor. And we talked about guys like Brian Tannehill in that conversation. And I think this is a good landing spot similar to the one that, that Tannehill found himself in in Tennessee with uh, actually, I think better, frankly, than the one Tannehill found himself in, in Tennessee. They did a little building around um, Tannehill. Um, but I, I totally agree. The fact that, that he went to, uh, to Indianapolis with Frank Reich, a guy who believes in him, Vito, as you said, and that's, that's 100% accurate. I think he's going to let loose a little bit, let the, let the hair down. Uh, it'll be Indy, Indianapolis wins. Um, and, and is that better I, I really, than Wensylvania? It's better than Wensylvania because at least, you know, Indianapolis is the city. It wasn't Philadelphia wins. Indianapolis wins. Yeah. Let's get it going. How about that? Um, no, I really think he is. And he's got a good offense around him. He's got a good rookie wide receiver in Michael Pittman. He's got T.Y. Hilton that's still there. Assuming he still he signs back with uh, with Indianapolis. He's got a great second-year running back coming in and Jonathan Taylor. He's got um, – uh, uh, oh, who's the other running back? I just drew it. Naeem Hines, Hines. Um, who, who he can throw to. The offense doesn't look as similar as it did in Philadelphia, but I think Frank Reich adapted, and that's why they made the playoffs for the last two years that he's been there. Um, and – and I think Wentz, Wentz will be a, a great, if not um, better addition than most of the other, most, not all of the other free uh, quarterbacks that they could have acquired or gotten in free agency. Yeah, I think, look, I think ultimately it's, it's a gamble for, for Indianapolis. I think some of the 2020 stuff from Carson Wentz was immediately downplayed the second the trade went through, right? Like I, I, I mentioned this in an interview I did with Blake Pace over uh, on, on the last pod. 
you know, the, the, the conversation around him went pretty drastically from, Oh, you know, Carson Wentz 2020 was so terrible to then the second he got traded, everyone was then focused back on 2017. Right. And the reality is, is he's never going to be as bad as 2020. I don't think he'll ever be as good as 2017, but if you can find somewhere in between 2017, 2019, or at the 18, 19 seasons for Wentz, Indianapolis could have their next franchise quarterback for the next 10 years. And that version of Carson Wentz, I think is good enough to make you a contender in the AFC, which if that becomes the case, think about how loaded the AFC is with it, with Josh Allen, Carson Wentz, uh, obviously Patrick Mahomes there as well. Vito, to your point, when you're talking about how much, you know, they gave up for Carson, it it depends on, on the outcome, right? Cause it's, it's a third round pick this year and then a conditional second round pick next year. So if he plays 75% of the snaps or 70% and then makes the playoffs, then that pick becomes a first rounder. My thought process was two second rounders gets this done. Uh, A second and a third would be a little too, too uh, low for what the Eagles should have to, uh, or what the Eagles should want to get in return. Uh, And then, if they could get a first somewhere down the line, that would be a win. So I think that they're straddling that line. They didn't get the two seconds, but a first and a third. Uh, and if Carson Wentz plays 75% of the snaps next year and they go eight and eight or seven and nine, you know, that, that is the dream scenario for the Eagles, which is get them to play enough where they, they don't quite make the playoffs. Cause look, I mean, it's not that you don't wish the guy well, but also I think it would suck for Eagles fans to look at, Carson Wentz becoming an MVP like I I know oh, that's crazy you know, right? I know. And, and so, how about the how about the Philly fans like you you guys are <laughs> it's a fan base that would immediately talk shit about the guy that, that almost ruined your franchise with like Carson Wentz and and then to root for him to get your good draft pick like it's a it's a very specific outcome that Eagles fans yeah. are rooting for this year. <laughs> yeah, like, 100%. like a, a very specific one. At the end of the day, I was a massive Carson fan. He will go down as uh, as one of my all time favorite Eagles. I was so in on him. The 2017 season is the greatest single season that any Eagles quarterback has ever had, and it's really not close. So for me, it is it's tough, man, because I'm thinking, hey, this guy's gonna be here for 12 years. Um, but the, the unbiased side of me, you know, like, look, I, you know, it, it's like I said before, sports hate is different than, than real hate. And, and I want what's best for him as a human. I want him to be able to go off and have a good career. I just don't want it to be too good. You know, I don't think I'm asking too much. Right. <laughs> and, it's good <laughs> and it's important to note too, that this malfunction that the Eagles created was entirely uh, to blame on, on everybody involved. It, it wasn't just Howie Roseman. It wasn't just Doug Peterson or Jeffrey Lurie or Carson Wentz. It took all of them fucking this up the entire time over the, not the entire time, but at least since the Eagles have won the Super Bowl for this to happen. Uh, from one potential franchise quarterback to one that we know is uh, one of the all-time greats in Aaron Rodgers, there was an interesting uh, announcement about a couple weeks ago that he was engaged, which is crazy because he was dating Danica Patrick for a couple of years and there was no ring. And then he starts dating the actor. What, what's the name of the actress again, uh, Scotty? 
Shailene Woodley, yeah. Shailene Woodley. In, in, uh, uh, Fault in Their Stars, uh, a couple of other games. Uh, what was that old ABC Family show about the teenage oh, pregnancy? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She was in that. That was kind of the thing that's you know started oh. off her career. What was um, that movie? It was a TV show. It ran it ran forever. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah right. it's gonna it's gonna kill me. I'll look it up. <laughs> I have to look it up after the no, pod. Stats and info. Come on. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but what made me? I got me thinking right about, about this because look i mean we're not going to sit down and talk about an engagement this isn't you know access hollywood but i am it did get me thinking like seems kind of fast because no one knew that they were dating publicly it's only about six months removed from the split up between danica and aaron Rodgers to begin with what is the mendoza line between how famous or beautiful or successful a woman is Versus how quickly you sh- like you can propose, you know, like like how how awesome does a girl have to be in your life that you would be willing to propose after just a month or three months of dating? So I think this is fascinating because um, I, I knew I, you would. I knew you would. Yeah, because- I mean, my wife listens to this podcast, so I'm I'm oh, bowing out of this one. <laughs> oh no! So here's the thing, and why I love it. These guys know. I watch The Bachelor. I follow this. I, I have a fantasy league on Bachelor. I gamble on Like, this is something uh, that I, it's just fun, I think, to dive into. And, and I think what's interesting, what people probably don't know, is that my parents, this is crazy. My parents knew each other for like three months. They were engaged 10 days. They got married. Like, that's, and they've been together for uh, 30 some years. I don't know what it is. They have four kids. They're still together. Like, it's wild how this works out. So on my family, that was like what I thought it was for a while like i didn't know like the typical thing until i like grew up a little bit and i wasn't a kid and it was just funny but i guess to that point is like i think that i think about these things so differently so i'm glad you asked because i have thought about this and i think that without a doubt um i think three months in nowadays time is is kind of wild or whatever but to your point like if it's not public no one really knows and like you haven't had to have a lot of go through a lot of stuff. That's hard. I think to, to, you know, devote to someone that you haven't gone through shit with. So I think it depends on what experiences you guys have together more than how long or anything like that. It's like, what hardships have you overcome? Uh, and, and I think that's, that's kind of what you can look at or just like, you know, fuck it. Let's just get married. That's what I feel like my parents did. It was crazy. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's a weird, it's a weird line, right? Because Look, like if if I met Jennifer Lawrence and she and I just like hit it off, dude, I'd have a down payment on a on an engagement ring the night after the first date. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be quick. I I would hitch myself to that wagon in a second, right? But at the same time, from a more realistic standpoint, you like you said, like that that line. And if you don't know what the Mendoza line is, it's it's think of just your your normal chart graph right the right angle and whatever that 45 degree angle is is it above is it below and your y and x axis is how awesome the girl is versus how much time goes by to which you'd be able to feel comfortable like doing something like that and and i think it it comes down to very specific situations right very specific women in the world i would be willing to do that with but also there might be someone out there who like you said vita who i just haven't met yet who's a totally normal person no celebrity or anything else who i could feel like oh no i'd be ready to do it in the same time frame that i'd be able to with jennifer lawrence 
So, uh, but to go back to your point, because I think you're right, I answered a different question. To answer your original question of like on the famous side and on the celebrity side, I think it's without a doubt um, someone, if they've won any award, that's the night of, that's like mm-hmm. have the ring in your pocket when you're going there. Um, uh, another, another lesson, this is actually hilarious, a lesson from my mom when she would go to uh, Beatles, like her whole life, she was a diehard Paul McCartney fan. He would come and she'd still go see him when I was growing up. And uh, she'd bring her passport just in case he would like ask her to run away with him. Like she, you know what I mean? Like that's the kind of like love and affection, just crazy fan. Like, yeah, Paul McCartney is a guy like that, right? Like, so there's that tier of people. It's, it's the list, right? From, yeah. from friends, yeah. you, you get the card <laughs> of who am I allowed to, right? You get five names. Anyone on that list is is the the very bottom, like doesn't matter how how little time has gone by yep. anyone on that can be like you said the night of hey you want to go to vegas tonight i, I think they do weddings pretty quick there they, they might yeah. be famous for it no and i think to your point it's just whoever you're like yeah i need i need to be with this person i'm hitching down exactly well i hope i hope it works out for a rod a raj <laughs> uh because uh, i mean look i i thought he was gonna marry danica it seemed like they were together forever but uh yeah, man, it's uh, it's funny nonetheless. Though we gotta say goodbye to our man Vito. He's got he's got work stuff going on. Um, my man, appreciate you as always, buddy. Any final words here as you head out? No, just uh, I I I am very very glad that um, the amount of sports that are going on, and and I'm really excited to see what's going on. One shout out to my Premier League West Ham Hammers. We uh, are now in a Champions League spot, fourth place. Shout out. Um, you know, crazy right now. So uh, Premier League soccer, you'll be hearing about it a little bit. Oh, yeah. Champions League has been crazy. Take it easy, Vito. We'll talk to you soon, my friend. Happy uh, birthday. Happy birthday, indeed. Uh, Scotty, got one or two other things here with the NFL before I want to take a quick break. Uh, J.J. Watt, I don't think we've gotten a chance really to dive down the J.J. Watt rabbit hole. Um, who is your number one option because we've seen him seemingly you you mentioned that you think he's been kind of dropping hints what oh my god who, who what hints maybe i feel like i've missed this what what hints it's are you wild. referring to it's wild so you're um, going full conspiracy on, theory mode on me full conspiracy um th- there were i i can't remember who tweeted out i got i would love to give them credit i totally forgot who off the top of my head but um it was a series of like three or four pictures one had his like footprint in the snow um the other had like um uh the other was a tweet that he had that said mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. As we all know, That's mitochondrial it. DNA is where the, the DNA that comes from your mother. Uh, his mother lives in Wisconsin. It's got to be Green Bay, dude. It's got to be Green Bay. Wow. He's going See, back I home. Didn't, I saw that, but I did not even put all of that together. Yeah. That's interesting. It's got to be. See, it's now, gotta be. That- I don't know. Maybe. I, we'll see. I, that would be a cool storyline, um, I think. You know, from an X's and O standpoint, the Packers immediately become one of the best defenses in, in the league. Um, but he needs yeah, a rebound. I mean, that, it was like, because, like, yeah, just like from his production side of it, like, because I think, I think JJ Watt is can still play a lot of really productive football, but I'm also a little hesitant to feel like he is. I mean, look, I mean, they have. Uh, Zadarius Smith on the other side, right? So they have a really good pass rusher in Green Bay. But does JJ Watt put them over the edge? Do you, like, honestly, so. like, do you think so? I. It depends on nothing else. Depends on his health and everything else, but. Yeah, if for nothing else, um, and it's 
it's a weird stat uh because i'm a purist with stats and like he he's really good at pressures like congratulations you almost got to the quarterback but you didn't sack him you're no lawrence taylor but no but disrupt <laughs> disruption plays such a major role in what you can do defensively right, right? it's what right. brandon so graham's if, made a whole career on it's what aaron donald yeah. does when he doesn't have big sack numbers exactly. right and so if you're if you're what and you go well hey maybe you know he's what now 32 he's he's old like me um you get you get to a point in your career where maybe you, especially with his injury history like maybe you realize wow um maybe i'm not as productive at getting to the quarterback maybe i go to a team where i can pressure the quarterback and have a guy like Zadarius smith on the other end of the line that is going to get to him yeah so no, no we it, share those stats and it's a team it's it's a team effort and we're winning football games thought. because of it because the not only did the numbers back it up you know I, i've said this a million times in this pod and i'll say it a million more I know what I don't know, and I know the people who I can get the information that I'm looking for, right? And, and the best podcast, if you're looking for defensive line talk, is going to be Greenlight Pod, which is Chris Long's podcast. Oh, yeah, that's so good. And he did a whole thing when J.J. Watt, you know, when he got asked for his release and eventually was released by the Texans, he did a kind of whole thing about, like, how much juice does he have left in the tank? And Chris Long is still very high on on JJ Watt in terms of what he can do, you know, as far as production value. And that there are certain signs, right? When you look at some of the injury stuff and some of the sack numbers, that he's not the same guy he was before. But at the same time, Chris Long said, you know, he's more than a uh, just a third down rusher. Like when Chris Long came to Philly, he was a second, third down rusher he didn't he wasn't on the field every single time it was a constant rotation he's not going to be a three down guy on the defensive line and I think J.J. Watt might fall somewhere in the middle because I agree with him I don't think he's out of juice to be able to be on the field for say you know 65 percent of the snaps defensively but I also don't think he can be a full three down defensive lineman kind of guy now I've always been a fan of having of treating your D linemen similarly to how you treat your running backs which is the more rotation you get in, the more fresh legs that you get in, you know, obviously around a couple of core pieces, the more efficient your defense can be. Like you don't want to take Aaron Donald off the field. You know, you don't want to take Fletcher Cox or, or, you know, Chris Jones or any of these premier defensive interior defensive linemen off the field, but your edge rushers need fresh legs just as much as your running backs do. And so I think if you can find that happy medium with JJ Watt, you could be, you could be adding a piece that puts you over the top. The problem is I don't think you can play him enough to be just your, your number one guy in green Bay. So I look at a place like uh, Buffalo, I think is a place where he could be really good where that defensive line already has a lot of young, hungry, talented guys. And then you're going to add a veteran presence in there who can really make a difference. Same thing with uh, Pittsburgh. Right. If he decided to go team up with his oh with his brothers God. in Pittsburgh, which, <laughs> by the way, if you want to say powerhouse of the cell, mitochondria, you can oh, make the same argument point. for Pittsburgh. Yeah. Right. You can say the oh, same thing for Pittsburgh to where his brothers are playing to go back to his family lines. So it, but let's say he does go back there on a cheap deal and Pittsburgh's able to bring back Bud Dupree. He's oh only he's, he's going to be a rotational guy and you might even be able to put them on the field at the same time. Right, you might be able to slide JJ Watt down into that three technique, five technique spot where he can kind of work one on one with guards and maybe even centers, and and you can work him in on certain stunts and blitzes where he can be more efficient. 
But Green Bay, I don't know if they have the personnel already in place on the defensive line specifically where he would make his biggest impact. But I do think he could be I, – I would love to see him in Green Bay. I just want Green Bay to finally have a good defense. You know, the year they yeah. won the Super Bowl, they had a great defense, and they really have not had one since. The thing uh, with the, the the playing time and stuff like that, or, or that he's not the only piece that could get – you talked about Pittsburgh, and if you add both Watt and Bud Dupree, I don't think anybody in the world has enough money for that. But if so say they do, right? I'd offer you a counter scenario if you're Green Bay and you go after him hard, you get a guy like Watt, then you go out and get one of these guys like Levante David on the outside who can also pass rush. Yeah. Um, you know, and and start rotating that way. Um, but you know, speculation. There there are <laughs> there are, I mean, or you go out, I mean, I still think Carl Lawson is is the best defensive. Yeah, there's another one. The most underrated defensive end <clears throat> project, uh in Gakwe, right? I think you could bring in Ngakwe to because his natural position is more of an outside linebacker. Now I don't know exactly how he would fit within that Green Bay scheme, even but, on a, on a cheap one. Alden Smith too. There's yeah, another guy, right? And, and look, if you build a rotation and you keep and you you are putting Zadarius Smith as your hallmark defensive end, I totally get that, and, and yeah. that could be a, a route that they choose that they choose to go. Uh, but we'll have to see. We'll have to see. Um, the last thing here I want to talk about with the NFL before we take a quick break, uh, the Big Ben situation seems to be coming to a head and that the, I don't know if it's the owner GM, I, I didn't say, I just caught the headline quickly. Um, say Rooney and cover your basis. Yeah, you're right. Uh, <laughs> one of the Roonies came out and said that, you know, Big Ben is, is, they want Big Ben to come in and be their quarterback this year. Now that could mean a couple of different things, right? That could be, blind like hey no matter what we're gonna figure out a deal we're getting big ben back solidified or it could be finding a way to make leverage right which is hey publicly we've now said we want you back ben it's up to you whether or not you want to take the pay cut it's up to you or to figure out whether or not you want to restructure that 41 million dollar cap hit and we can actually try to put pieces around you to win because Juju's a free agent, right? And I mean, we we've talked about forever how good they are at replacing wide receivers, and they still have a great wide receiver room right now. Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool will be going into his second year. But I guess it's hard to tell from afar exactly what the motive behind coming out publicly and saying that is. Because it could go either way. If you had to guess right now, do you think Big Ben is back in Pittsburgh? Um, I'm going to say yes, only because the Steelers aren't an organization to pull that leverage thing like that you described. They're very loyal to their people. They always have been. Uh, and Ben is one of those guys for better or worse that they are loyal to. Um, I think though, it, it does pose a bit of a problem. If you're, if you're a Steelers fan and you think about this, you look at the idea of, assuming Ben doesn't want to restructure his deal and you see guys that the other guys on your team that are free agents that are 24 year old Juju Smith Schuster and 24 or five year old Bud Dupree. Um, both of whom are, I don't know, Bud Dupree's a superstar probably at his position, but not necessarily Juju Smith Schuster. I don't think, um, but maybe he still is, has that. I don't know. But, um, but to even consider, um, re-signing Ben, um, 
ahead of those two guys in particular, that's just, that to me would be foolish. Really, really foolish. If you're going to sign him at, at the, at, at the price that, that he's, he's asking for the, the, that $41 million in his contract. Yeah. Unless he gets restructured. I, I, I think it's, it's really, it's really biggest, backing yourself into a corner. Hit. It's the biggest yeah. cap hit in the NFL. Yeah. And I mean, I'd eat that money, right? I'd rather go through a year with sign, being able to sign those two guys and oh, then having having oh, that, Dwayne Haskins yeah. as my quarterback. Yeah. Well, and so it's funny you say it because that's exactly where I was going to go now, right? Because they have Dwayne Haskins there who absolutely floundered, floundered his way out of Washington, which is already an incompetent franchise to begin with. But yeah, to be honest, that this was one of the first moments where you can kind of feel the changing of the guard in Washington because Dwayne Haskins was the guy who really was to blame for why Dwayne Haskins is no longer in Washington. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. and for so long, whether it was Trent Richardson, right. You can go through the list of, of Washington football players who forced their way out because of organizational incompetence. This wasn't because of organizational incompetence. This is because of immaturity on the part of Dwayne Haskins. Now you're going to put him with Mike Tomlin, who is one of the most high character guys that the NFL has, but is also a player's coach, right? He's not known as a hard ass. Now, will that mean he's able to relate to Dwayne Haskins and why not more? But I'm, I, I think to get the most out of Haskins, if you think that there's a chance that he can be your future, you have to find a way to bring back Big Ben. You, you have to, and you have to find a way to make that cap hit so much more manageable because right now, especially with Pouncey retiring, because that's an aspect of this too. There were mm -hmm. some NFL films audio that leaked after Pouncey retired of Pouncey going up to Big Ben after the game when they lost in the playoffs to the Browns. And yeah. Big Ben said to Pouncey, I only came back because of you. So I think there's another element here of Big Ben maybe feels the pressure as far as, you know, he knows he's, he's limited in what he can do. And are we just going to see a Philip Rivers type year like we saw in, you know, Indianapolis? Now, look, we, we also saw Big Ben throw the ball almost 70 times in a playoff game. So it, it could go either way. Um, but it's a really interesting situation to kind of keep our eyes on. And uh, I, I, I don't have a guess as to right now. My, my gut feeling is that they figure out a way to bring him back on a more affordable contract. And I think – if you're Pittsburgh and a fan of the of the Pittsburgh Steelers, that's kind of the best situation that you can hope for. So uh, yeah. let's take a quick break. We're going to come back. we got much more to talk about in our Michael Scott Pretzel, the works edition of the read option. we got the MLB NCAA tournament coming up, a little NBA talk, and uh, we'll get you all on your way. So stick around. We'll be back here in just a minute. All right. And we're back. Going to talk switch gears again as we are adding more and more toppings onto our Michael Scott pretzel here uh, in the sports world. But there was a massive contract that came down, Scotty. And I guess it was what, like a week and a half ago, two weeks or so. Uh, Fernando thing, yeah. Tatis shortstop for the San Diego Padres. It's nice to see San Diego have a team still that that's worth something. That fan base deserves it. Uh, but he got a monster 14 year 340 million dollar contract it puts him in the top three i believe in biggest contracts of all time if not is it number three awesome number three yeah 
Yeah, and and so he's right up there. You have Garrett Cole's contract. I think it was three twenty four. Uh, no, was, the two ahead of him are uh, are. Uh, that's what Mike I see. Trout? I was behind him. Yeah, Mookie Trout's Betts number one. Probably, yeah. Mookie Betts was three fifty, right? Yeah. So so he's right up there. He's only played one full season. He is a stud. Like I think anyone who watched him play, not only is he a stud, he's absolutely fucking electric to watch. Like his energy and excitement. You know, they've been pushing hard on this campaign for a while of, you know, let the kids play uh, and, and trying to get rid of some of the old stingy baseball reputation. But the problem is, is the guys who run major league baseball don't actually believe that they just believe in the marketing behind it. So, uh, but we'll get into that in a second, but I, I, I want to start off with this pick any sport, any coach or player. You have to give out a 14 year and $340 million contract. Who are you giving it to? Any sport, any player. And obviously wow. like Mahomes and those guys, they have contracts that are bigger than that anyway. So, you know, you can rule those guys out. Who would you give that to right now? Yeah, I tend to want to leave out quarterbacks and almost any superstar in the NBA because um, they're already getting that money. Well, not the NBA. Um, they're getting more per year, but. Yeah, well, yeah. Because um, that's part of it, too, is the 14 years. 14 years. Yeah. Um, I would go. If you need a minute, I got a couple I yeah. can rip off. Give me you. a minute. Yeah, no. I got to throw. So I did not think prepare you that. on that one enough, but but I'll say for me, the first guy that I think of, I'm actually thinking in the college football ranks. If I could give, oh, okay. there's a couple of names that pop off right off the bat. If I could give Lincoln Riley and Ryan Day 14-year contracts, which granted, look, you'd be paying them like an out the absolute ass for that. But if you could guarantee Lincoln Ryan's uh, Lincoln Riley stay in Norman, Oklahoma for 14 years, I'd set the over under national championships to at least five and a half, maybe four and a half. Uh, and Ryan Day, I mean, look, we've seen what Ryan Day's done. I think there's, I mean, I, I think Ryan Day ultimately, I think both guys ultimately make a jump to the NFL. But I don't know if there's a price that can be that can be paid to be the czar of a small town, you know, even if it is Norman, Oklahoma, or, you know, up in Columbus there in Ohio, either way, like you are the king of that city. You are above the law. You are like the number one figure. It's hard to put a price tag on what that would be like. Um, so I, those, those are the first two that came off the, the kind of tongue for me. I like that. No Dabo though. Wouldn't Dabo be on that list? Yeah, he, I, you know what? You're right. Dabo would be probably number one on that because he's already got two national titles and, and he's been to four of them and he's made the college football what six straight years now, college football playoffs six straight years now. So you're right. Dabo would have to be number one on that list. Yeah. Um, geez, think NBA. I'd go like a guy like Zion maybe. I don't know. See, I don't, but that's a lot of money. The NBA guy for me, and, and it's not because I don't think Zion's incredible because Zion is remarkable and, and I'm excited to get into the NBA stuff here in a little bit, but Luca has to be the choice in the NBA. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right? Because, because you know, we all know right now, Luca's playing in this league for 20 years. By the Far- way, did you see last night? No. The way he ended the game. Oh my God. 15 seconds to go. He hits two threes. One was a step back. Um, He's ridiculous, that, dude. That tied the game. And then 15 seconds to go, he drains one from about 40. It was nuts. Luca to win the is, game. 
Luke, Luke is on another planet, dude. He he really is up there when it comes to just jaw droppingly. Like, and to think he, this is his third season in the league, and he's averaging twenty nine, nine and eight. Like, what the fuck, dude. <laughs> like, yeah, Luke yeah. Luca's incredible. They need to get that team better. Um, but it's an interesting exercise. You have, do you have? I'm trying to think because in football, I mean, look, do you, do you believe that much in Trevor Lawrence? I mean. Y- if you could lock down Trevor Lawrence for 14 years, would you? I don't know, because I haven't seen him on an NFL field, man. Joey but... Burrow, Justin Herbert, right? There are these names that you could think about, but I, I, I'd be hesitant because it's 14 years, which is crazy. Yeah. One, one of my favorite little like sports trivia facts, do you know what Magic Johnson's contract out of Michigan State was? No, I do not off, off the top of my head. 25 years for $25 million. Wow, really? Yeah, in 1970. No yeah, after after signing 1979 to 1980. Well, Bobby Bonilla deal. <laughs> 25 years for $20 million. Or $25 that's, million. That's crazy. Yeah. That to was, lock him in that long? That's mm-hmm. wild. And that's why he played, because he, he was technically under contract when he left because of the HIV stuff, and then he made the comeback later on in the late 80s, early 90s. That was a big reason why he was able to do it because he was technically still under contract. Uh, it's still almost a hundred million dollar contract if you account for inflation. Yeah, I mean, it, for its time, it's still, it was astronomical. A, yeah. But you consider yeah. he signed that in in 1980. They were expecting him to play until 2005. That's great. Oh, like I said, little Bobby Bonilla deal. How about think, that? Think about a Magic Johnson versus LeBron matchup. <laughs> Magic oh. Johnson. At well, like they'd be on the same 40. team now. I mean. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Uh, but look, I, I brought up Tatis, obviously, because there is a, a, a bigger conversation to be had here when it comes to contracts in the MLB. For a long time, we have seen MLB contracts stay pretty stagnant comparatively to the growth and internal revenue of the MLB itself. And I have some numbers I'm going to throw at you here, Scotty, right? From 2003 to 2020. All right, so from the last 17, 18 years, the average salary of an MLB baseball player has gone up from $2.3 million to $4.4 million, right? So a little bit less than double. It ends up being about 186% growth, give or take. The growth in revenue went from $3.8 billion in 2003 to $10.4 billion in 2019. Wow. So what we're seeing is an exponential growth in revenue over the last 20 years, which is across the board in all sports. But baseball is the one sport that has really struggled to keep up with the rest of major league sports. And and there's a multitude of reasons for that. One of which is the ownership, right? And Rob Manfred and going back to Bud C League, right? They have had terrible commissioners for a long time. There has been a conscious effort by owners and the owner side of major league baseball, with the exception of, you know, your Yankees, your Red Sox, your Dodgers, guys who can afford to go out and spend big time contracts to keep the overall level and the average, you know, pretty low down. We're talking about a 267% increase in revenue over the last 20 years. 
that is, I, I don't, I don't even have to talk anymore about the numbers. I mean, the numbers speak for themselves there on top of that. Alex Rodriguez signed a $275 million contract in 2007. All right. Think about how close that is comparatively to what Fernando Tatis just got. Right. And, and the Mike Trout contract is so far and away bigger than yeah, anybody an else, which yeah. exactly it's an outlier, but look at everybody else, right? Look at the Bryce Harper contract, 325 million compared to 275. That's only a $50 million difference in total value. Even though the the overall revenue has skyrocketed comparatively so much. The Alex Rodriguez contract, by the way, he signed a $250 million contract for 10 years with the Rangers and then signed another 10-year, and he opted out with three years left, but he signed another 10-year contract for $275 million with the Yankees. So we're seeing that overall, these teams are not shelling out for players. And it is absolutely hurting, I think, the overall growth of the sport. And it's only created more tension between the players' union and the owner's side. Yeah, I think it's twofold. Uh, One is that baseball has traditionally, Major League Baseball at least, has traditionally been, uh, for for as much as I love it, the game of baseball is my favorite sport of all time. Uh, Major League Baseball has a very uh, deep-rooted, um, place in my heart um, and in my sports fandom it's it's honestly one of the the sports that i i will never ever stop watching if i ever do watch stop watching sports which i think is impossible <clears throat> but um i think the for better or worse the fan base is almost too um set in its ways too traditional and part of the the impetus behind signing guys like Tatis is to is to change that narrative and so good for the Padres for doing that um but because I, I loved the the energy that that he brings and and the the whole let the kids play thing and I love it I, I, I well, they love also have another 300 million dollar player already on their payroll. Machado yeah yeah and but for for the for the fan base to be as as curmudgeon as um, it actually is no matter what they tell you it's it's the average age of 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 major league baseball fan is it probably hasn't changed much but the last time i checked in on it was probably two years ago it was like a middle-aged white guy right that's and that's what you think it's of still, when you it's think still of baseball, is. right yeah and and so for for major league baseball to perpetuate the idea that um we want to get younger we want to to um change the game a little bit to uh to to facilitate some of that and and keep around some of these guys like like Tatis who are uh, electric players they make money for the league right but then also um and this is one of the things that really really bothers me and it's part of the reason it's one of the the um things that came out of this whole the Mariners owner deal there's a huge a huge um gap in major league baseball where um, they say they're for player empowerment and, and they have this great relationship with the union um, and the players. But uh, at the same time, on the other side of the coin, is a, a group of owners who are actively telling players, um, we're purposely not going to call you up to the major leagues, whether you're ready or not, uh, because it affects, if you don't know the background, what depending on what time of the year and the season they get called up affects their service time. 
Yeah, they have um, to play X amount of games in the minors for them to be able to control an extra year of that right, of their exactly. contract in the majors. Right. Yeah. And so ownership will purposely tell um, the general management and the, and the the players that we're we're not going to call this player up now because we can save literally millions of dollars by not doing it uh, and call them up later. And then they're free agents by the time they're 32, which is bullshit. Um, But that's the kind of like set in stone practice that MLB needs to get rid of. Like it's, it's hurting the game. It's hurting the relationship with its fans. It's hurting the relationship with players. It's and, and the players union it's, it's gotta go. Yeah, um, uh, well, and we that I think is Vito. why you see that huge disparity. We, yeah, and I think I think everything you said is down. We were talking to Vito before the podcast started, uh, before we started recording, about how strong the players union is in Major League Baseball. It's one of the strongest unions in America, but because of that, it also means that they have a really rough and tenuous relation or, and strenuous relationship with the owners. Right. And, and that kind of back and forth struggle where, yeah, that the major league is major league baseball players association is not afraid to go through a lockout. They have no problem doing that. Their contracts are fully guaranteed. They really don't have a problem with going through and doing that on the opposite side. The owners then in turn don't feel as though they need to compensate or are less inclined to compensate the players and would rather say, Hey, you know what? Yeah. We've grown from 3.3 billion to 10.3 billion in, in overall revenue, right? Yeah. We're going to pocket more of that. And we're going to keep you guys grounded at the same point. Another thing you brought up there, the arbitration process, how many other sports have arbitration still with free agency, right? The NFL found a sneaky way to do it with the franchise tag, but the teams still get punished because of the franchise tag, right? There's still an incentive or at least another alternative where it's like, Hey, I don't want to pay Dak Prescott almost $40 million a year. I'd rather have him on a long-term deal where I can play him, pay him 30 million. And so it it gives an incentive for the owners and for the team side of it to give out long-term contracts. Yeah. It really feels like baseball, the player association, the ownership, are just constantly butting heads. It also doesn't help that they have probably the worst commissioner in all of professional sports and oh, Rob God, Manfred. Yeah. And, and again, I don't think that is, is <laughs> at this point, people like, I think if you were MLB baseball and you're a fan of the MLB, you would take Roger Goodell to be your, your commissioner tomorrow. You would sign <laughs> that's him up saying something. Exactly. That's exactly the point. This guy who is the overwhelmingly one of the most hated people in America and Roger Goodell would be like number one choice 10 times ahead better than, than Rob Manfred. When you make Gary Bettman look good and Roger yeah. Goodell look good, you know, you suck at your job. I remember can doing we get sh- that. Uh, can we get that Dave Portnoy, the barstool shirt with the clown <laughs> face of Goodell, but make it Rob Manfred, but make it Let's Rob do. Manfred. Honestly, dude. And, and like, I'll get on that crusade. I've said, <laughs> I've uh, I've said this before, you know, Manfred, like I was, I remember I was doing a show, I was producing a show for Nick Wright, you know, from Fox sports. And uh, I I was doing a show with him when all of the MLB player negotiation stuff was going on. And then the next day did a show with uh, doggy Chris, Chris, the mad dog Russo. Right. And they're two very different eras and the, (laughs) the contrast in their opinions on 
this subject in particular was fascinating because I had a firsthand seat of hearing, all right, here's Nick Wright, who is condemning Rob Manfred and the owners and saying, hey, we need to get this thing freaking dumb. The players are the ones saying anytime, any place you let us know, we're going to show up to play. And then on the other side, you had Doggy, who, you know, Chris Russo is sitting there like, uh, yeah, Chris Russo sitting there like, oh, yeah, uh, you know what? I I think the players need to stop being so greedy. I think the players need to realize that, you know, they need their paychecks and they need to be able to get out whatever they can get. And it it shows that's that's the classic. That's the clientele of of baseball fans. That's the Mad Dog is your average fan, right? Like that's that's who is is. I'm talking about when I say that's the fan base, that's like, I don't want any of this new fangled uh, such and such in baseball. And why do the players get the, the, the right to, to tell the owners what's, what's going on on the field? Yeah. yeah. I'd say it to somebody. And, and there's still, and what's funny is the overlap between that same guy and the guy who doesn't want college players to be able to have their own name, image, name, image, and likeness rights are, are it's the same guy. Right. It's the same guy, maybe just in different parts of the country. So it is it is a fascinating dichotomy when you consider the fact that MLB baseball, which is considered America's pastime, has not been America's pastime in close to 30 years now. Yeah. Right. Since the 90s is really in the steroid era is really what changed all of this. And and, and it goes from the writers too, like the media side of it. The, The fact that the the baseball writers still vote for who gets into the hall of fame and not former player and not everything else. It is bullshit. And like, look, I don't do not like Kurt Schilling. And frankly, if you said, I don't think Kurt Schilling should be in the hall of fame because of what he represents. And I don't want that to represent baseball, particularly in what he has said and done in his post playing career. I'm okay with that. But the whole point of Cooperstown is for it to be a museum. Same thing with all these Hall of Fames. It's a museum. It's a history of baseball. And so to intentionally leave out Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire and even Jose Canseco, whose numbers are kind of borderline anyway, or Kurt Schilling, Roger Clemens, any of these steroid guys, Sammy Sosa, I think you're ultimately doing a disservice to the history of the game. And what they've done a really good job from a marketing side of this, I have a buddy who works in ticket sales for the Marlins, You know, they are so on the forefront of pushing this narrative of trying to finally showcase the players because baseball has one unique advantage over many other sports, which only really uh, the NBA also shares with them, which is that there is no helmet, right? When, When you watch and sit down a baseball game, you see the players' faces. You see their last names on their jerseys. You recognize them. You know what they look like. And yet the NBA has been able to market and profit off of that exponentially. It's a huge reason why it's such a player-driven sport, but the owners in baseball never want that to happen. The owners in baseball don't want it to become a player's sport. It's still supposed to be, you know, the team and everything else, which, look, football is the ultimate team sport, and you're because of literally the fact that they wear face masks, you're never going to be able to get that from football. And that marketing side of it, which is why so many of those same people gravitate towards football and don't want football to change, especially on the college level. But it, it works in it works in both sides, and and it is ultimately just it's fascinating. I I, I baseball needs to change because I'm telling it's a dying sport in America now. What's incredible is it still absolutely dominates local and regional ratings. 
because all of these baseball teams have 162 games, right? Whether you're watching it on Comcast, Sportsnet, or Fox, or whatever your local affiliate is, those contracts are still incredibly lucrative, even though the national ratings for Sunday night baseball over the summer have dropped so steeply in comparison to what they have in the past. So uh, an awesome conversation there. Baseball, get your shit together, man. Get We, we have a segment one of the shows we do. It's called Get Yourself Together. Baseball, get yourself together. Jesus Christ. All right, we're going to take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to hit basketball, NCAA tournament, as well as a little bit of NBA, and we'll wrap this up and send you on your way. All right, now to finish up the pod, we're going to go all hoops here at the end, both college and pro. We're going to end with the NBA, so obviously that means we're going to start here with the upcoming NCAA tournament because, Scott, before our very eyes, we're getting pretty close here to conference tournament season, just a couple of weeks away, and Selection Sunday Sunday is just a week and a half away, so we are getting really, really close here to something that, look, I mean, COVID, when COVID hit March 11th, right, which is crazy that we're already, literally, we are 15 days away from, or yeah, 15 days away from the one year anniversary from when COVID really felt like it had made its impact in America, which was the the infamous Rudy Gobert game when, when Rudy Gobert tested positive, and all of a sudden, you know, the NBA just basically fully shut down that was kind of the unofficial start uh, uh, at least for what a lot of people would feel was the the gravity of the situation kind of hit home and it launched so many other you know protocols everything else the shutdowns all that started coming after March 11th uh, and, and the fact that we're coming up here on a year is crazy but the big casualty because every other sport was able to pull off their season the NBA came back and had their bubble right? Uh, You know, the MLB season, albeit it was a shortened and and abbreviated season, they still were able to get the MLB season off the ground, had a full season, have a champion. Uh, The NFL, college football, all these sports were able to complete their season. The one sport that didn't really get the opportunity outside of like college baseball, which I know you and I both kind of locked in on as well, was college basketball. And the most lucrative and arguably important singular enterprise, singular sporting event that we have here in uh, our our sports culture is the NCAA tournament. It is worth over a billion dollars every single year to the NCAA when they put on the NCAA tournament. And we were about, I think only a few conference tournaments had started uh, the big East tournament. It was like the day they were started. And then all of a sudden, boom, it was like the ACC, ACC. They were like a game in and then all of a sudden a game or two in and all of a sudden, boom, pulled the, pulled the plug and that was it. And then, you know, I remember I was, I was doing a show last night with my buddy, Sean Farnham, who was at the sports center desk with Scott Van Pelt on March 11th. I was talking to him last night about it and, and the impact that that had. So all that being said, we are now two years removed from the last time that we had this incredible sporting event, which is always one of my favorite sporting events every single year. That first Thursday tip-off, you hear the CBS music, man. You get a beer cracked at noon because you know you will have a bracket, or in my case, 10 brackets filled out, and you are sitting there ready to (laughs) (laughs) ready to ESPN maxes you out of 10. So that's about all. I usually fill out as many as I can. You go to CBS then. (laughs) You do another 10. (laughs) Uh, But look, man, I, I am so freaking excited 
to have the NCAA tournament back. And I, I, I'm really excited to hear because there's a lot of different angles now. And from the last time we had the tournament until now, gambling has become legal in, in pretty much every state that has now adopted legalized gambling in one form or another didn't have it during the last NCAA tournament. You can go all the way back just to when Delaware, which was the first state outside of Vegas to really kind of push forward and say, Hey, you know what? We're going to be allowed to do this to now we have, I think almost 10 States by, by the time we hit the summer that will have some form of legalized gambling uh, that, that, that people can, can, can go out and do. So uh, I, I want to really get a chance to kind of dive into some of this here. Um, but first off, what is your favorite part of March madness? Because it is, oh. it's a three and a half week fucking journey. And, and we are all like super excited for it. And, and, and all of us have a different thing that kind of hits us. What to you is peak uh, NCAA tournament experience? It has to be, Jeff, because I make it a holiday every year. I take the Thursday and Friday. And now granted this year, it's a little different. The, the, day, the days line up a little differently. It's usually Thursday. Wednesday night is the... Uh, <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry. Thursday night is the the first four. Then the Friday and Saturday is the uh, the first. No. Do I have that wrong? Anyway, I take the first round off. No. It's I Tuesday do. and Tuesday it's and Wednesday. We have the first four in the first and then, four, and, and then yeah. Thursday Friday is the oh. I I take the Thursday and Friday off. I make it a holiday, and I didn't start doing this honestly until maybe about four years ago. Uh, at the suggestion of one of my friends uh, at work, Sam, shout out to him. He's making a cool doc on the Washington football team. We can plug it later. Um, but um, Sam told me, dude, have you ever done this? Like you take the Thursday and Friday off, you watch every game of the the first round of the NC2A tournament. I said, no, but that sounds amazing. Like I, I'm usually sitting there at work, like trying to like, you know, I don't know if you've watched on the streaming on CBS before, but they have this thing called the boss button where you press a button and it, it pulls up like a spreadsheet type thing. It looks like you're doing work. Anyway, that's that's what I would do. I was like stream games at work and then and pull that up. And he's like, oh, no, you got to try this. But I did it. First year, I went to Buffalo Wild Wings, which is a mistake. Don't travel if you're going to do this because if you have, or anywhere you have to drive home. So I went to Buffalo Wild Wings. I sat down at the bar. They had every game on, and this started at noon on the Thursday, and I was like, I am in heaven. This is what heaven is like. I've made it. And every year since, I've taken off. I, I've taken off work. I, I sit at home. I get four screens up so I can have one game on at a time, or all four games on at the same time at any, at any given time. Um, it's, a, it's a huge holiday for me. It's one of my favorites, uh, probably better than Christmas, actually. Um, Masters week is similar, actually. I would I would say to that. But uh, the first the first weekend of the tournament is just absolutely the the, the most fun. Those those you know it takes me back. I have a couple of different memories here, and I remember I was in fourth grade. I was in a guy, my teacher, Mister Love's class. I love the guy was a legend, um, and, and I remember very vividly Villanova that year. It was the Kyle Lowry, Alan Ray, Mike Nardi. Team. Mike Nardi. Oh, I was just right. <laughs> Mike Nardi was my boy, dude. If anyone wow. out there listening knows Mike Nardi, shouts to you because uh, you're a real one. Mike Nardi, he spent a little time in the Italian league after uh, after playing there. But yeah, that team was the first really great Villanova team. Now I'm I'm a pretty diehard Villanova fan. That you I, saw. Yeah, that that I had seen exactly. I mean, yeah. I was going back to the Raleigh team in 1985. 
biggest upset and, and greatest champion ever in the NCAA tournament, uh, beating up beating that Georgetown team with with Patrick Ewing. Man, I would. That's one of those sporting events where it's like if I could go back in time to go watch any run, any sort of team go. The 1985 Villanova Wildcats would absolutely be at the top of my list because they lost three times to that Georgetown team during the regular season, and they by the fourth time, Raleigh had finally figured out how he how he could beat them. You know, and I've been fortunate to work with some people who were on that staff. So I've, I've gotten to hear some incredible inside stories there. But, uh, you know, anyway, I digress. Uh, I remember so vividly it was, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon, two thirty. They were getting ready to play their first game. And it was like that last 30 minutes of, of elementary school before the buses and everyone would, would start to head out. And my t- the teacher was just like, all right, yeah, we're just going to stop. We're just going to stop and we're just going to watch this. And we all sat down and some people were doing homework or whatever early. And I'm just like glued to the TV because I was like so excited. And to that point, you know, the Sixers were pretty good, but you know, the AI era was starting to kind of fade out there. It was about 2005, I think was that year, 2006. And then I think about when I was in college and my freshman year of college, dude, I'll never forget. We all, it was very similar, right? You're not supposed to skip class in college mom dad sorry you're probably listening to this uh i skipped class on that thursday how dare you and i i went to one class i had a morning class and an afternoon class i skipped the afternoon class and we all sat down and all had a you know cases of beer whatever keystone bullshit we were drinking and just watched hoops and we set it up so that we had five different laptops going and one by one as each game would start we'd make sure we had another screen we could put it up and we just sat and we enjoyed every single second of it. And to me, the thing that will always hit home, I make sure no matter what I'm doing, I will sit down and force myself to watch the very first tip off. The the second the tip off comes, they give the above camera angle of the ball coming up and the two guys going that to me is like, dude, get ready. Cause you got three and a half weeks strap it just excitement in the world three and a half weeks of commercial free basketball starts now (laughs) honestly man it's it's a similar vibe there to our boy scott hansen (laughs) on the nfl network but uh this year's uh tournament does seem to be kind of a two maybe three horse race now we have not had a team go wire to wire in a while now scott's you're telling me there's four teams four yeah we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a second there um to, to me, when we're when we're looking at this tournament, we still have the conference tournaments, which should tell us a lot. Baylor almost lost to the worst team in the Big 12 last oh. night. They barely oh, came back, but they were coming off of a COVID break. This year in particular is so unique because of the, uh, the, the problems that COVID has created when it comes to who do we believe is actually the, you know, the, the, the top tier teams in college basketball. For me, the top three – I have Baylor, Gonzaga, and then I think there's a tiny drop off, and then you have Michigan. Do you, is, is Ohio State your fourth team? Who is your fourth yeah? Team? Yeah, I would I would only add Ohio State to that. Um, it's the way they played in the last four games, honestly, um, has really, really got me thinking that they're they're in the top, and those those first four are really solidified. And I think after that, it's not really close. Villanova's a great team. Uh, I think when you get to the two line. Um, you got some you got some real good um real good teams that that can compete illinois i think is a sleeper out of the big 10 
Um, so is Iowa. I mean, the Big Ten is loaded, but every time it gets the tournament to Alabama, for Christ's sake, I mean, you just want a national championship anybody. in football. Uh, you, you get out of here. Who's who's coaching? Is uh, is Anthony Johnson still coaching them? Or no, what the hell is his it name? Was it was Anthony Johnson, part. and then it was uh, uh, Avery. No, it was Avery Johnson. Avery Johnson. And, that's and, what. And I mean. They yeah. have a new guy in there whose name is escaping me at the moment. Uh, it's going to hit yeah. me like a ton of bricks. But I think even that two line is. Uh, I think that the the distinction between those the those teams on the two line and the top four. Um, on the on the one line is is really as stark as I can remember it being um, in recent memory. Um, by the way, how about them Dukes, James Madison? How the about mix? them Dukes? So it's <laughs> funny, man. So I've never I've never seen JMU in in the tournament. The last time they were in the tournament, I think I was in high school, and so obviously I saw them in the tournament, but it, I had no relation to them. You know, I didn't yeah, know I was right. going to JMU at that point. So for me, you know, the the one down spot the one dark spot on my jmu athletics because i've said forever dude i had the greatest run that any student and in, in my class and in the class after me had the greatest runs that any student had ever seen when it came to athletics we had college game day come to our campus twice in my four years there we won a national championship yeah. in football at the fcs level and then we won the women's lacrosse champion national championship too so i saw two national championships and had college game day come to our campus twice, which for an FCS school, uh, you know, the, there's only been three That's FCS huge. schools that they've ever gone to. So, yeah. uh, but yeah, I mean, right now I have, you know, Joe Lenardi's kind of bracketology up right now. They actually have them playing Alabama in the first round, which I'm excited about because I've been working with Greg McElroy uh, every morning there on, on ESPN <laughs> radio. Oh, yeah. So he and I will have to Canel, have a little bit, yeah. of, little bit of a mayor's bet. We'll have to see how, how it plays out. Now I wouldn't, I wouldn't like to take my Scott. I might have to, you know, lay the points for my boys uh, in the purple and gold, but I, I would, <laughs> but I agree with you. Uh, and look, they have to win the tournament too, right? They have to win the CAA. They have That's to right. get the automatic yeah. bid. So it's not like they're going to make it as an at large, but it's been the best men's basketball season that we've ever seen in a brand new arena there down in the, I'm rooting for it. I am too, man. If, I mean, if they, I, if they win one game in the tournament, I will, let's assume uh, I'll, I'll do this mayor's bet now. If they win, if they win out, they win their conference tournament. They make it to the to the dance. If they beat whoever they're playing in the first round, doesn't matter if they're the fifteen on the two line playing Alabama or whoever, whatever way it shakes out. If they win their first round game, I will buy a JMU basketball shirt or some kind of. Like, how, about, how about this? How about if they if they win a game in the tournament, so they'd have to make it first off, win the CAA, and then and then win a game in the tournament. You and I road trip down to Harrisonburg to go to Jack Brown's for a beer and a burger and one of the best places to go for it in America. That's what I want. Count me in. I'll, I'm I'll there. Pick you up, I'll pick you up on my way. You're on my way out that, that direction <laughs> anyway right. I'm to there. get to JMU. So <laughs> it, it'll be awesome. But uh, bigger picture to teams that actually have a chance here, I'm in total agreement with you. I do think the top three teams – and, and I, I think there's – obviously with the tournament, there's always a chance that someone can make a run, get hot, but for this year in particular, I don't know if there's a, a legit national championship contender outside of those top three, even Ohio state. Now, look, they, they lost to Michigan over the weekend, but it was by far the best college oh, basketball game. game we've had oh. all, all year. 
so and the pageantry with the CBS music like they have for the oh, tournament. Oh, the whole thing. It, it, it felt was so good. It's like a long, it's like a yeah. like a cousin that you haven't seen in like two years. And then you get together at, at someone's wedding and you're just like, oh my God, it's so much fun, you know, hanging out with you again. Like that's kind of the vibe yeah. I'm getting here with the tournament for this year. But Baylor, Gonzaga, both of those teams have veteran leaders experience. They've been together for a couple of years. They're not the traditional one and done teams, which we've seen of late from, you know, the last decade of this one and done era, those schools have been struggling. Now Duke's making a push. They're in the first four out right now. They still have some work to do. Duke could find their way. And, and I heard this cause we were talking about this last night. How phenomenal would it be if Duke gets in as one of the last four in, and in a playing game, they have to play like Kentucky, Duke, Kentucky play in tournament game to get wow. in. How when did you think you would ever see that? Right. Like I, I it would be phenomenal. I, I think for, and this is kind of the side, you know, the committee, I think, I hope they don't do this, but I think they will wait on some level having Duke in the tournament and, and the fan base and the ratings and everything that will kind of go into that. But I also think people are so starved for the tournament that the ratings are going to be fine. But outside of that, because I do think that the top tier levels of the NCAA tournament are kind of set as far as legit national championship contenders, the final four is where, from a, at least from a betting perspective, there's a ton of value. So I, I wrote down some of my favorite picks as of right now that you can get on FanDuel, DraftKings, uh, and, and you can get exceptional value from. And, and the first one on my list right now, number one value for a potential Final Four run, is USC. USC right now is plus 600 to make it into the tournament. They have arguably the best... And they're leading the Pac-12, right? They're leading the Pac-12, and they have arguably the best pro prospect on their team right now. So they are long athletic. They play good defense. They shoot the ball pretty well from three. Uh, the, the biggest question mark with USC is they do not have that veteran leadership. They do not have a coach who's been there before. So it would have to be a bit of a run right now. USC is a, I believe a three seed. I'm trying to find him there on the uh, uh, Joe Lenardi's. They have him as a four seed right now in Lenardi's bracketology. Uh, they, they're playing really, really well. They're kind of getting hot at the right time. If they I, make a run through the conference uh, tournament there in the Pac-12, they could be a dangerous team come uh, playoff yeah. or come tournament time. I agree. And if if you're looking at at Lenardi's um, uh, the bracketology, they're in the the Baylor bracket, so they, I mean, they can make a deep run to the Elite Eight. But well, just looking at that, what Lenardi's got. Lined Baylor's up here. bracket is dangerous. The one that Lenardi has right now, he's got Baylor, but the two seed is yeah. Illinois, who I think matches up extremely well with Baylor. Now, Houston is the yeah. three seed. I think Houston's a bit overrated, but they do play really good defense. So you have to kind of keep that into account because look, guard play and defense, a lot of times are the things that are going to separate teams come tournament play, particularly guard play. Uh, great guard play. I love good guard uh, play. Some of the other teams here running down, because again, USC is kind of like my sneaky favorite. I'm, I'm probably going to lay some a little bit of money down on that USC bet, uh, because again, plus 600 odds for them to make the final four. I could totally see that happening. Now, again, they would have to upset Baylor based off of the bracketology right now. But if they end up in the same bracket as Michigan or, or, or Ohio State, I think they're so much better yeah. athletically. I think they could really poise a, a, a troublesome threat at the very least. But some of these other teams here, Florida State, the most disrespected team in college basketball. Uh, Leonard Hamilton yeah, has done no such kidding. a phenomenal job with that team. They're really, really dangerous. They're a really, really fun team. 
and I think they could do it. You get them a plus 350. Oklahoma. Now, one of the things that a lot of teams – it will scare off a lot of people in the tournament is teams that are dependent on shooting the three, right? That's one of the reasons why I don't think Alabama is a real tournament or a national championship competitor. But Alabama is one of the few teams that could beat anybody in the country on any given night because of how well they shoot the ball from three. They've had a couple of games this year where they've made over 23 pointers, which at the college level is pretty rare, right? We see much lower scores, a much more older style of basketball, not necessarily what we see in the NBA. Florida state is a great team. They have great length, athleticism and experience. That's a huge part of this. They won the ACC last year. They were supposed to be, at least the regular season, they were supposed to be a one seed going into the tournament last year, and they brought back the majority of their guys. I think all but one of their guys ended up coming back this year. Uh, Again, I'm sorry. And then Oklahoma, which I was saying before, another team that shoots the ball really, really well from three, but similarly to Alabama, that can be concerning from a national championship perspective, but it absolutely could get them enough. It could be enough to get them to the final four. Uh, The last couple ones here, these are a little more long shots. I think Creighton has a good chance that this Creighton team seems like they've always been not always but at least in the last five or six years they've been the number two team in the big east behind villanova Uh, they they do a great job again another team that shoots the ball really really well and that's kind of been the mo that they've had there out in uh, where is creighton by the way in indiana indiana omaha nebraska nebraska Nebraska. there we go the big east in omaha nebraska i did not know that uh, and then you have my other two long shots, UCLA, just a really gritty team, good guard play. Mick Cronin's done an awesome job out there building up that program. And then here's a sneaky one for you, Drake. Now, Drake going into last night, I'm not sure what they did, but last night we're 18 and four against the spread on the season. 18 and four is absurd against the spread. They're a really, really good team. They have a, uh, at least one guy who we think will more than likely make it to the NBA but if you're talking about potential Cinderella's, you know, a five seed right now, they have him, them as a 10 seed. So I was actually off even in, in my prediction right now. Lenardi has them as a 10 seed. You're talking about a Cinderella run. You can get them at plus 1300 to try to make the final four. Depending on where they fall in the bracket, I think they could be a potential Cinderella here. Uh, any other yeah. teams before we switch over to the NBA that have grabbed your attention during the college basketball season? I like the UCLA pick. <clears throat> that you mentioned earlier that's a there i think that's another underrated team right now and the pac 12 granted is weak um this year um but lenardi's got it looks like four pac 12 teams in the in the tournament which i think is high it Um, it, that did strike me as high yeah um uva always you know depending on where they fall they can make a run i like um i like some of these five line well not the two of the five line i like creighton that's a great pick i like i might lay some futures on or uh, some some money on that i want to lay a future on uh, on duke uh to get to the final four i mean this has got to be the year for duke right i no uh, could you imagine <laughs> after all the jalen johnson stuff no no well, i don't think that, i don't so, think so, it is, but so, that would be fun real quick here before we move on the the, the duke Jalen Johnson whole situation, right, was was a major storyline. Uh, there was a lot of people out there labeling him as a quitter, as a selfish, a lot of unfair things to call an 18-year-old kid, uh, especially when we all look back and think about what we were like when we were 18 years old. But the, the, the committee has never had to deal with 
a player opting out in the middle of the season, right? Because right now you have two completely different versions of Duke. Duke yeah. before Jalen Johnson leaves and Duke after. Now also, I don't think it's entirely fair to say that this jump is because of Jalen Johnson alone. He only played 13 games this year. He's been, He was dealing with injuries the entire season. So yeah. to say that, oh, it's it's a clear delineation between the two, I don't think is genuine. But I do think it, it is clear that Duke has found something. The problem is, is that the committee looks at your entire resume from top to bottom, not just, you know, it's not just what have you done for, for me lately. It is, it is the entire picture. But I, I think Duke finds a way to get in, even if it is a play-in game. I mean, look, if they made a run to the Sweet 16, I, I wouldn't be shocked. But uh, their odds for a Final Four are, are enormous. So if you're high on Duke, then, you know, you, you can definitely get some good value there. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see, nonetheless. I'm just excited to have the NCAA tournament back in our lives. It, it's, yes. been, it's been too long. Um, let's close out the pod here, Scotty. Uh, I wanted to have you on last week. We were talking about, you know, I, I gave my all-star team up into that point, a little bit of kind of pre-NBA awards and whatnot. Uh, I wanted to get you on. Schedules didn't line up. It happens, you know, when we're trying to do stuff. We all have regular lives outside of this silly little podcast that we do. But I thought now that we have our all-star rosters, uh, now would be a good time to kind of shoot some shit here on the NBA. So right off the bat, do you have a, a, a snub? Or maybe I should even start with this. Are you someone who gets overly upset when we see snubs or somebody making it over, you know, over somebody else? Are you are you that locked in and passionate about the all-star team? Less so the older I get, I think. <laughs> uh, I think when I was younger, I used to get really like passionate particularly in baseball and um, in basketball about guys getting snubbed um, on all-star teams. Um, and it would be because I was so locked in and it was like, well, wait a minute. Like why, how come um, so-and-so has um, these stats um, but didn't make the all-star game, but this guy did. Uh, and the explanation I always got was largely because it was up to fan voting. And I'm like, Okay, well, that makes sense to a point, but like, so the idea that we're entrusting fans to make this a popularity contest is, is, well, the fans have a certain part of it, right? So it's the fans, the fans get a vote, the media gets a vote, and then the coaches decide on the, on the, the, uh, the reserve. This again is when I was, I was younger. Like I, now I'm like, all right, like, all right, (laughs) like it makes sense. You understand it's a little more. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I don't particularly, you know, guys get snubbed. They get basketball is particularly hard because there's only so many spots on the team that you can fill, and in any given year, yeah. there's more uh, guys that would fit the definition of an all star that than there are spots on the team. Um, so you know, is what it is. Well, and this this year in particular, that's the case, right? Yeah. I mean, there, this was one of the hardest all star voting, I think. And Zach Lowe did an entire piece about how this was the hardest all-star vote that we've had in the last decade. And I think it's valid because we have more guys scoring. There's over 40 guys scoring 20 points a game yeah. in the NBA right now, like it's, which is shattering the record that was already set. So we yeah. have the most, the biggest, you know, dearth of talent that we've ever had when it comes to NBA yeah. scorers. But like these reser- it's also reserves are loaded. Of, Oh, for sure. Well, let's go through them here, right? So uh, the Western Conference, and remember, there's they have the vote. They'll draft teams. I also don't know how many of these, how many of these guys are actually going to play. 
right? Because LeBron's already been on the record saying that he doesn't necessarily want to play in this game due to COVID and everything else. But oh, yeah, this is an Adam interesting Silver, game the NBA, you know, they're, they're pushing hard that they're going to be there. So we'll, we'll see how it comes out. But, you know, LeBron was, was the top vote getter in the West. No surprise there. Uh, the starters for the West, we have LeBron, Steph Curry, Luka, uh, Jokic, and Kawhi. Now the one thing and you were talking about the fan vote the fan vote is what ultimately decides the starters it has more value in the starters and that was the difference between Luca being the starter and Damian Lillard being the starter when I did mine I had Dame as as a starter over Luca because I think the impact that they've had on winning the fact that the Portland Trailblazers are fourth in the west is just absolutely asinine it's, it's insane yeah. that that's the case With, and yeah and not to take anything away from Luca, we mentioned earlier, Luca's having an insane year. He, he's the guy I said I'd give fourteen and three hundred and forty million to, but uh, that that's what it ended up being for the East. It's Kevin Durant was the top vote getter, and underneath you have Giannis, Bradley Beal, Joel Embiid, and Kyrie. Now I did not put Kyrie in mine. Uh, I had uh, the same up until that point. The one guy I had in over Kyrie was Jalen Brown. Uh, I just thought I I, I couldn't reward personally Kyrie for for kind of acting the way that he did this year um you know I have a you lot can, of issues you can take any one of those two from Boston and substitute with Kyrie well and, and so I was close to not putting Tatum in because frankly the Celtics have been so disappointing this year and and not that Tatum's not deserving but Jalen Brown to me was the clear cut between the two and, and Tatum not that he, again not that he's having a bad year Tatum ended up making the team and is having an exceptional year but uh, you know, I, I just felt Jalen Brown made it. So, but the reserves here are are pretty interesting. You have in the Eastern Conference, Jalen Brown, Harden, uh, Zach Levine. I think he's the one that most people are kind of up in arms about. Julius Randle. I'm so stoked for Julius Randle. I'm really glad yeah. that he was able to make it. To me, it came down between him and Sabonis, and I had Sabonis in because I just think that the Pacers deserve to be rewarded for being a frisky team year in year out, and without uh, obviously trading Oladipo. But then not having Karis LeVert because of that you know scary kidney injury, I, I just felt like Sabonis deserved a chance there. Uh, ben Simmons, I, I you know I will defend Ben Simmons to death. He might be my favorite player in the NBA. Uh, Jason Tatum and then Nikola Jok- uh, sorry Nikola Vucevic. Vucevic. We have two Nikolas in this year's All Star game. He's the one that honestly I I probably have the biggest quarrel with. I, I kind of. I feel like I'd rather have Sabonis in there over Vooch, but look, Vooch is, is playing really well. He's averaging 24 and, and, and 12. He's playing a yeah. hell of a year. And, and look that for all of the injuries and stuff that that magic team has, they've, they've done a good job of hanging on. And then in the Western conference, the reserves, Anthony Davis, he will not play. So there will be another spot that opens up Paul George, Rudy Gobert, Dame, Donovan Mitchell, Chris Paul and Zion Williamson. The only thing I missed on my Western conference prediction was I had uh, uh, Mike Connolly in over Donovan, which statistically uh, yeah. it's a tough argument to make. And I think if Connolly hadn't gotten hurt, you probably could have gone a little harder on saying that he deserved to be in there over Donovan Mitchell. But yeah, not two, mad of, about two it, of the Jazz I'm, had to be. Yeah, Mitchell's there. Exactly. Two of them. In, and there'll be another spot. The one spot I had was I had DeMar DeRozan filling in for Anthony Davis. If Anthony Davis does eventually opt out. So that's our all-star team. Uh, I think you and I are both on the same page here. I think for the most part, everybody's deserved Zach Levine. I was hard on him last week. 
I watched the game against the Sixers over the weekend, even though Embiid dropped 50 and he was the show. Zach Levine has, has really improved on the defensive end when it comes to the effort side of it. And that to me is as much as anything. Are you willing yeah. to show that you care on the defensive end, even on a team that is not, you know, a world beater in the Chicago Bulls? And the only reason they're in the playoffs right now is because of Zach Levine. So I, I think it's fair for him to, to, to get into the, uh, the, the, the all-star game this year. Agreed. Um, and Last, how about Steph putting himself in the MVP conversation? Well, that's exactly where I wanted to go next here, Scott, which is right now to me, it's a two man race and there's a lot of basketball left. We still have more than half the season to go, but to me, it's LeBron or Embiid. And I had said last week that Jokovic, that Jokic was my MVP, but the more I'm kind of removed from that, the more I feel that winning has to play a bigger role. You know what I mean? Like Jokic is, is unbelievable this year. His raw stats are stupid. His advanced stats are even stupider, but at the same time, his team is, is not in position. And the, the only time in recent memory we've had a player put up great stats on a bad team and win the MVP was Russell Westbrook. And I hated that. I hated it so That's, much. Well, he averaged a triple he, double. You couldn't. Yeah, not give but it, it to was him. a it was a yeah it was a fake triple double. It wasn't a real triple double. It was it was uh, Jeremy Grant and Stephen Adams boxing guys out so that way Russell Westbrook could go get a free uh, rebound at the free throw line. Like double's <laughs> triple double, man. <laughs> yeah, but it was, it, it was fake. It was fake. It was fake. I'm sorry. It was a bad team. It was a fake stat. And I will never, ever, ever give Russell Westbrook credit for that MVP because, frankly, he did not deserve it in the slightest. Um, but for this year, I think Embiid became the front runner with his game the other night. Uh, he's the first player in NBA history, at least since they've been tracking blocks, to put together a 50-point – it was 50 points, 17 rebounds, five assists, and four blocks. First player ever to put that stat line together That's since wild. 1982. Embiid is playing on another planet. Now he had a bit of a rough game last night, but they still won and he was still pretty clutch down the stretch. And look, you're going to have the occasional off night from these guys. LeBron, since AD has gone down, the Lakers have been losing some games. They lost to the Wizards the other night. Now, look, the Wizards have put together a bit of a winning streak, but LeBron, how he handles this month without Anthony Davis, and it could be longer, right? Because I'm starting to get similar vibes with this Anthony Davis injury that I did when Kevin Durant was uh, they were going in his last year in golden state. And he was worrying about his calf being sore, his Achilles being sore. And then come playoff time when they needed him, pop, there goes the Achilles. I'm worried about that for Anthony Davis, particularly being a long, thin, big man built similarly more, more bulked up than Kevin Durant, obviously. But I am worried about that for Anthony Davis. And as incredible as LeBron is, if he doesn't have Anthony Davis, they're not winning the title. There's, there's no, no way they win the title. Well, I hmm. there's no way. I, I don't know. The West is weaker, and they got the the two best sixth men on the planet. <laughs> we on think, team, but that's so. the thing. We we think the West is weaker because they don't have as many stars. But the record West versus East has been very slanted towards the West right now, like significantly so. The West is still has better teams top to bottom. They just have less individual superstars, but it'll be interesting either way. I have Embiid as my MVP now, and look, it, it could change week to week, right? I mean, that's kind of part of what the media does is every week it's going to change, and some people hate that, and 
people in the media say, well, that's how the business goes. So who's your MVP to this point in the season, Scott? I think I agree with you. It's, it's, I think it's gotta be MB just the way, I mean, the, he's been electric all season, but the, particularly the last like week, week and a half, he's, he's just been lights out, which is the opposite of electric, but um, <laughs> you get my metaphors, right? Yeah, uh, for sure. I think you got to go. I think uh, last I looked, Steph was Steph Curry was like plus eleven hundred to win um, MVP. I don't think the Warriors are good enough to get him fully into that conversation. Um, but I could be right. Maybe he just goes like 2016, 2015 balls to the wall and like. Yeah balls out all day long and well and, and that's why i had he can stay healthy he's got to be in there i had dame ahead of steph for that exact reason the, the, yeah. the raw well, stats yeah. are the raw stats are, are pretty similar dame's averaging you know almost tw- all is 29.6 eight assists four rebounds steph's averaging 36 and five right so yeah uh, 30 points six re- uh, six assists i will say steph is playing a lot better defense lately yes, he has um then he's averaging five rebounds he has in the past can you ever remember is, Steph <laughs> averaging five rebounds? No. Yeah. I, no. I, it's crazy, man. And, and look, I, I still think your top five have to be – for me, it's Embiid, LeBron, Jokic, and then you have Dame and Steph, which to me are kind of – you know, it just a matter – it matters to how much of an impact do they have on winning. Where and do you have Durant in that conversation? He hasn't played enough games. I, I kind of have yeah, him as a as – a, because I, I don't think he I don't think he will play enough games by season's end for us to yeah. consider it, especially in a year when we only I, have seventy two regular season games. Yeah, I agree with you. I just, I just wanted to throw it out there. <laughs> no, I think it's a valid point because statistically, I mean, he's look, he's he's twenty nine five and seven, five yeah. assists, seven rebounds. I mean, KD when he's been on the floor has been crazy, but I also think because of the way they're going to have to share the ball offensively for the Nets. I'm not sure if he's going to be able to have enough to to, to kind of yeah. seal it off and, and to really, you know, make a legit run. But hey, I mean, obviously, if the fans were voting, he would he'd be up there. Uh, Giannis, a, a, again, incredible season. They're not going to give him two, uh, three MVPs in a row. Like they're, they're just not. And honestly, I think I think this is the year that we hit Giannis fatigue. And not to say that people will dislike him, but the narrative is going to be the conversation around him is going to be. Yeah, but he hasn't won in the playoffs. And there's a grace period. And I think Luca's a year away from hitting that himself. There's a, yeah. there's a grace period that we give with up-and-coming stars when we're building them up and how much we love these guys. And then there's a little bit of a grace period where we're like, hey, you get two or three years where, oh, you win an MVP and you do this. But then it becomes, yeah, but can you win a Now champion? go get some hardware. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing where it's like yeah. LeBron, people are talking about all the time with LeBron. They're like, well, you know, LeBron hasn't won a – MVP in eight years. Like, how is that possible? And and Rosillo and, and Simmons, they went through on their on the on Simmons pod on Sunday. You know, they went through and like recounted every year since his last MVP. And there's not a single year that LeBron would have deserved the MVP. Not to mention, LeBron began this whole you know rest thing for players in the middle of the season. That was LeBron's shit. Like LeBron mm-hmm. coasted. Not say coasted, but LeBron didn't play in every single game for a while and I, and, and, and for almost a decade, eight years, that LeBron was more worried about preserving himself for championships. And this is the side of LeBron. And this will be the last thing we say here before we get out, but this is the side of LeBron that bothers me. Right. On one hand, he's like, championships matter to me and nothing's more important than us winning a title. 
And, and, you know, if I have to take some time off, make sure my body's rested and all this kind of stuff, like, all right, cool. You're locked in. You want to win titles. You want to beat Jordan, have more titles. That's your MO. I'm with you. But now this year he's like, why well, I don't take time off. I play every single game. I, I there's, there's no rest for me. I have to go out there because he wants an MVP. He wants one more MVP yeah. before he's gone. So it's like, well, what is it, man? You can't have both. You can either rest and make sure you're ready for the, 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 the finals run, or you can ball out every single night and do what Russell Westbrook did, which is like, Hey, we're not going to win a title, but I'm sure as hell going to make sure I get my triple double every single night. So that way I win an MVP and people finally put respect on my name, which that to me is yeah. like such well, a big part again of why I dislike that. That Russell, that's, that's, Russell that's why LeBron moved to Hollywood. So he can control the narrative, be the director. No, that's dude, all. he's, he's been controlling the narrative since he was in Miami. That's LeBron's thing. Oh, I know. Look, by the way, in, now he's in a place where it's like, if you could hire any GM in basketball or LeBron James to be your GM, I would take LeBron James to be my GM over any. Oh, wow. Yeah. Daryl Morey, close second. Eh. Daryl Morey's never won a championship. <laughs> LeBron's got four. All right. LeBron's That's got true. Four. All right, man. Let's wrap this up. Scotty, thank you for coming on. We went long, but look, we had a lot to get to. It's it's the works for a reason. It's the Michael Scott, Michael Scott list of pretzel ingredients and it was a shitload of fun getting to go across all of the sports world so scotty thank you for hopping on my friend my pleasure anytime i love sports can't wait to hop on soon we're gonna get some more action coming to you next week everybody enjoy your weekend rate review subscribe all that dumb shit that we have to ask you to do every single time but we appreciate y'all for listening and we'll be back with you next week on the read option